This episode is brought to you by Tama Drums. Tama is a Japanese company that really needs no introduction since they've been making some of the world's finest drums going back as far as the mid-70s under the Tama brand. And before that, they were known as Star Drums. Anyway, Tama has some really cool new products that you need to be aware of. There's the SLP series drum kits, which we're going to have up. Uh, we're going to feature in a review in a later episode. And then in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the new Superstar Hyperdrive Duo Kit, which comes with a really, really cool 10x14 floor tom slash snare drum. Anyway, give them a, go to tomadrums.com backslash USA if you're in the United States. Check out some of the stuff. They got video clips of everything. And let's get into the show. What is up, everyone? And welcome into episode 159 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from mikeslessons.com. And my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. While you guys check out this sweet beat from Misha Thorich, let me tell you what we have coming up. So Mike and I are going to discuss at length both of our preparations for what we have coming up. So Mike's getting ready for PASIC 2018. I'm getting ready for the 2018 UK Drum Show. After that, we'll talk about how to integrate the ride cymbal bell into your grooves. Our featured artist this time is Train's Drew Scholes. After that, we'll check out some new hardware from the people at Canopus who have released lightweight but heavy-duty hardware. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. This is getting hard for me to say all in one sentence and we'll give you our picks of the week yeah let's do it oh man (laughs) (laughs) here we go the show before the show (laughs) the show before the show is the real show someday everyone will get a uh, uh a free ticket to the behind the scenes show everyone how are you guys doing Let's give it up for that intro groove. Fat Tones, man. I know Misha. I think he came to a camp that I did in Rheinsburg, Germany. Pretty sure he was there, and I know he's been a long-time Mike's Lesson student. So, Misha, you sound fantastic, buddy. You have a, uh, any guess on how to pronounce his last name? Um, I'm going to go with, uh, is well, based off of the file you sent me, his last name is Intro Groove. <laughs> but I, uh, let me see. Um, T-H-O with the two dots. R-I-S-C-H. Yeah. Isn't it Thorish? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm done butchering names. I'm done. It's over. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, yeah, I think it's Misha Thorish. But I don't know. Well. You know what? I'm kind of cool either way. Either way, you sounded dope. So... Thanks for your beat, Misha. That was at 1970s Ludwig 22-inch bass drum, which, for my money, is still one of the best all-around sounding drums. Um, he's got a new Yamaha recording custom snare, some Mino 15-inch hi-hats, Peisty Big Beat 20-inch crash ride. Um, mm. Microphone setup is is pretty interesting. He's got a uh, Sennheiser 421 inside the bass drum, I guess, and then a sub kick on the outside, a Shure SM7B on the snare, which I'm seeing more and more people do that. That's the like the vocal broadcasting mic. Oh, really? I've not tried wow. it, but I've seen it. You know, I've seen Chris McHugh do it. I need to try because I'm having an issue with hi hat bleed in the regular 57. It's driving me insane. So maybe this will help. <clears throat> what else? I have a little bit of hi hat bleed in uh, my single overhead. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> I have some rack tom bleed, some floor tom bleed, some squeaky pedal bleed. <laughs> oh, I've got that happening too. I need to get the uh, WD 40 out. It's bro. All over the place. I have a brand, so I have a squeaky hi hat stand, and I've had it for got a year and a half. Always complaining about it. Even ordered a brand new hi hat stand. It's actually here in the studio, and still too lazy to unbox it. Now, did you need a new hi hat stand, or could you just have greased up the the axle? You know what, dude? (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of was thinking, you know, it's been about three years since I've asked for anything from DW. I just want one. I just want a brand new one. I don't even know. Are they the same shape? Have they changed the product? I don't know. Like sometimes I'll go to Nam and I'm like, "Wait, that's a DW five thousand? Like, yeah, man. That's that's how it's been for the last three years. And I was like, "Oh man, how long has it been since I asked for a pedal?" That's the problem with great hardware. Oh yeah, it just kind of lasts. So it's like, oh man, I, I I'm not going to ask for something new just because it's new, except for this hi hat stand. But generally, <laughs> it's like I don't know, like like my double braced. Boom stands, my DW nine thousand series boom stands. Like that's uh, they're here in a studio. What, yeah. what the heck could go wrong with them? That, you know, it's funny. So. The uh, hi hat stand in, in my studio is the one I bought in I think nineteen ninety four. It's a DW five thousand. Whoa! I mean, it's got really? so much like 
stick dust in worked into yeah, the hinge. Right? It's like slow mo up and down, but it's my hi hat stand, and I'm not. I mean, I have other ones I gig with, but that's one in the studio. Yeah, I think I bought it in 1994, 1995, something like that. Oh man, just to know that you were at a music store getting a hi hat stand, and I was graduating high school (laughs) and just about ready to take my first job in retail at Drum Guitar City. Changed my life forever. That was my first real hi hat stand, and you know it's still there. That's funny, man. It, when when you graduate to professional hardware, because that's such yeah. that's always the last thing to update because it doesn't make any sound. I'm not going to spend money on that. Oh yeah, I went uh, through so many of those like cheap, really cheap stands with the thumb screws breaking out. I think my first hi hat stand was whatever came in the Sears catalog with the drum set. I mean, that barely wow. moved. The spring was on the outside, and it was in this like it looked like some sort of bomb, <laughs> some kind of weaponry. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> I totally remember that. Yeah, and, and I think I had a sound percussion hi-hat stand that I toured with for a long time because it was just so light, and it just always kind of worked. But it, it's weird. A lot of times what will happen is even when you have professional hardware, there's always some junk hardware somewhere that just somehow one of those stands or one of those snare stands makes its way into your hardware bag. Yeah. And it's like, ah, I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm touring and opening for major acts, and they're like, kind of hi-hat stand is that dude i don't know like wait aren't you like a dw artist yeah but then i'd have to go home and get my dw it's like this is fine it opens it closes you know sometimes they just work but but we'll talk about hardware later because uh canopus does have a new set of hardware and we will be reviewing that and i do want to talk to you specifically about that because around the same time that you were getting your first professional hi-hat stand and i was getting my first retail job in the drum industry that's around the time that Gibraltar, I believe, or maybe DW, re- I think it was Gibraltar, released their aluminum hardware series. And it was amazing and just didn't take off for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking, like, this is half the weight of most of the stuff I'm using. So we'll, we'll, we'll call back to that later. But uh, besides nice that, how are, how, yeah, <laughs> how are you doing, buddy? All's good. All's good. Where am I at? Um, I spent the week messing around. I'm going to have my... Uh, my PASIC clinic kit kind of set up in my studio for the next month. I'm gonna I'm gonna take all nice. of October That's to just call. mess with that. So I even got the symbols I'm gonna be using. They're already here, so I'm gonna have it's not gonna be the exact drum set, but it's gonna be the size with the twenty inch bass drum twelve fourteen. So that's that's nice. gonna be my goal for October is not not uh not take it too lightly. Get used to everything. <laughs> now, Can I ask I'm, you a question about that? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say I'm I'm debating whether I, I should ship my um, Porter and Davies tactile throne because mm. that makes a huge difference to feel the low end of the bass drum. But, I know that um, I know that both yeah both times no four so th- three years worth of camps. With uh, Ash, he's always had it with him, whether he had to ship it or he had to, mm. or he drove it himself. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's actually part of his kit to him. So, yeah, I'm thinking the same way because whenever I've, I've, you know, these clinics I've done where I'm just showing up and playing whatever's there, it's cool, but I definitely feel disconnected. And that, that Porter and Davies is pretty special. At least, it, no matter what room I'm in, I feel like I have some sort of consistent low end response out of the kit. Right. Yeah. So I think I might just have to ship it. It's, you know, whatever. It's kind of hefty. When but, you know, when you're on stage, is there any time that you'll be performing without in ears in? Will you ever be demoing stuff without ears? No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, the whole time. Okay. I mean, I'm planning on playing along to loops the entire time, even when I'm demonstrating exercises. So I'm going to have to have okay. something in my ears. Good. I was going to say I would definitely recommend getting in some practice time with nothing in your ears because that's the one thing when you get on stage sometimes and you're talking to the crowd and then you're playing it's you're just it's it might be the first time in months that you've heard a drum set without some sort of hearing protection in yeah that's and you harsh. play tentatively because you're like wow that's loud like, <laughs> yeah. well, that's how loud it always is it's just that you stuff things in your ears uh, yeah uh, i'm going through the same thing right now i'm i'm working out i actually scrapped my entire uk drum festival plan hmm. and started from scratch totally on accident uh I started a new thing. I, I, I found a problem, a weakness that's been in every student I've seen for years and years in the Mike's Lessons family. And, and there's this reoccurring problem. 
And I always never, I really just never had an answer for it. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to reverse engineer my process for this and see. And it's definitely a method of practicing something. And what I've realized is in the four stage practice method, which I still do almost every day, but I don't, I don't do it with, you know, uh, where I'm writing it down and doing it with a timer. It's just kind of how I practice. But inside that, there's so many missing elements that aren't common sense to the average drummer. Mm-hmm. So it's really what's missing is like, and so what I'm calling it is from the page to the gig, because that's what people keep asking me like, hey, mm-hmm. man, I worked really hard on this. But when I get on stage with my band and I try to do the fill from page three, I either get scared and just don't do it, or I do it and it comes out wrong. And I'm thinking like, well, what what steps did you miss? Because I don't I don't ever have that problem. Now I do have a waiting period, like an incubation period, where I learn something and it does take a while to come out naturally. Mm-hmm. But it always comes out naturally. And so so that's what I'm going to be teaching at the UK Drum Show because I, I kind of looked at that lineup and I thought the one thing that's missing here is okay, let's say that you just watched Stanton Moore play, then you watch JoJo Mayer, then you watch Benny Greb the day before, Josh Dion. Am I going to wow you? Like, I'm not going to wow you. Like, I don't even have that capability to do that. What I could do is say, hey, whatever's inspired you today, let me show you how to tackle it once you get home. Nice. And that way, every drummer that's played before me is in play as far as their content. And then I can just say, let's take whatever you were inspired by the most, Calvin Rogers, Greg Hutchinson, and take that home with you and know how to tackle it properly. So, And then, honestly, that's going to be the entire core of mikeslessons.com and camps moving forward is like okay the content is so there's so much of it there's so much so many things to practice but why does it always get stuck at that c minus level and why do you always play the same four fills and the same two grooves even though you've been practicing for the last 10 years yeah so yeah we have to compare notes afterwards because it's i think we're attacking similar problems with different different approaches Right, and I think that that's another key element, something you and I were talking about before the podcast started, about different educators that can come off as this is the way to do it. The element from both of our perspectives is this is a way to do it. This is one of the many ways to do it. But I think the most important thing that's missing is how thorough you and I and most professional drummers practice something and how much we take that for granted and we just yeah. call it practice. But it's like now I, now that I've studied thousands of drummers, that's actually what's separating the pros from the, the amateurs and the weekend warriors is the approach. Yeah. Because anyone can learn anything. I, I don't believe that it's like, dude, you just don't have it in you. It's yeah. like, I almost cussed. I was like, yeah, <laughs> funk that. Yeah. You have it in you. It's just the approach. And there's nothing more frustrating than wondering – are you wasting your time or are you approaching this with proven results? And I think everyone has to find that for themselves for sure. But so, yeah, so that's going to be, so I'm working on that speech right now along with, okay, so that's the speech, but if you can't prove it on stage, if there can't be a payoff and fireworks at the end, then no one's really going to take your information seriously. Yeah, so I'm working on that too. That's, that's kind of where I'm at now. I think, I think for me, October is going to be, what can I do to create a five-minute demonstration of what I'm teaching? Because all right. of my drumming is influenced by what I'm going to be teaching. So I could just play anything, and it'd be like, well, that I'm using it all. But how right. do I distill that into here's like a, a Petri dish version of it? Here's the proof. Uh, here's the proof. That's yeah. going to be the challenge. And, and I'm, that's the, what makes me the most nervous is, is that bit of it. But I'm not too – I mean, it, it's not like I'm going out and saying, okay, I'm going to – I'm going to impress you with something I've never done before. I'm literally going to be demonstrating right. what I do every single day in my pajamas in my studio before I go to work. Like that's right. the whole yeah. point of it. And the, and it has to be tangible. I've, I've I mean, how many clinics have you and I sat through where the drummer says, like, okay, so I'm just going to demonstrate how I play paradiddles, and then we're staring. I'm like, it's been four minutes, and there hasn't been one <laughs> right, left, right, right yet. <laughs> And then they finish, and they're like, "So you know, you guys, you guys can do it too." And I'm like, "No, I'm. To- you didn't. I don't think you even know what you're doing. Yeah. So you didn't display what you taught. So I think that's the main thing is <laughs> you. They have to be able to recognize in your fireworks moment. Oh my gosh, that is exactly what he tapped on his you know hands and legs. Just yeah. that pattern that he told me. That's why you have to keep it simple yeah. um, before you go full." Uh, 
Fred Armiston with the complicated drumming. <laughs> yeah. Right, left, right, right, kick, left, left, hat, yeah. right, left, hat, hat, kick. I mean, I'm going to um, call yeah, think, out one of our heroes because I think it's also part of his charm, but I think that's Dave Weckl's whole thing. When he gives a clinic, it's like, yeah, it's just this. And you're like, I don't know where that just this I, is that, in what you just did. That was six did. minutes? That was six minutes? And nothing, I didn't hear that once. And, and the problem with Weckl is – because he's so good and he actually knows exactly what he's doing, I put it on me. I'm like, I, I just don't want to admit to anyone sitting next to me. I'm like, I never heard it. Yeah. I, I never heard I it. I don't get it, man. He must have <laughs> snuck it in on me. Either that or he's just lying. But I'll, I'll, I'll still put it on me. Oh, it's man. it's never Wex's Pretty fault. Funny. Anyways, so yeah, so preparing for that. Get that all down. Also, everyone, uh, I hope to see you at the, at the UK drum show. It's going to be a blast. I'm performing on Sunday. But then on October 2nd, I will be in Bath. And I have heard that Bath, uh, England, I guess, is one of the most beautiful places in all of the UK. So if you want to come out there, I'll be performing at the Egg Theatre. That's put on my, by my good friend Kim Lee. He's the owner of Music Workshop. And that'll be October 2nd at 7.30 at the Egg Theater in Bath. So please come out. That is open to the public. Uh, the master class that I'm doing <laughs> in uh, Castleford, that didn't go too well. I, uh, the, the, the owner, he said, hey, man, uh, can you promote the, the master class you're doing? I said, yeah, no problem. So I put up a flyer. Within like three minutes after putting it on Instagram, he wrote me back. Uh, Can you please take the flyer down? I've got we got slammed and uh, there's no more room and now people want to get in and I don't have any more. And so then I was like, oh, sorry about that. Uh, so for any of you that are coming to that, that'll definitely be a 15 person only masterclass. We'll have a blast. We'll go deep on this stuff and some other topics. But if you want to come out to the Egg Theater and Bath, I'd love to see you guys there. You should, why didn't he just add a couple extra sessions? Well, I don't have enough time, okay. um, so it, it's like a three-hour masterclass. Oh, okay. So it's it's, yeah. it's my day with setup and breakdown, and we're taking my my Gretsch kit for the UK drum show. My cymbals are all being shipped to Castleford. I'm playing them there, and then we're taking them. Uh, the owner, uh, Adam Swales, he's taking me to the UK drum show. We're all loading my gear there, and okay. so. Cool. But uh, but yeah, it it should be a lot of fun. So uh, so we'll do that. And uh, all right, let's get into our podcast for today. Yeah, are we going education? <laughs> I know that was a long one. That was a long one. Don't laugh. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about using the bell of the ride symbol within beats and fills, and because uh, I don't have a method, and I'm kind of curious if maybe you do have a method. I I have an awareness. Okay. So I think that the bell can be shocking to people besides the drummer. I don't think the drummer realizes how much that bell sticks out, especially if you've got – if you have a jazz ride, it's just this nice little different tone. But if you have like a ping ride or a rock ride, I mean it can be a shocking sound. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people just keep doing it. And I don't think of it as – I think some people think of the bell as like, well, you have – Regular notes and accents on the hi-hat, and then you have the bow of the cymbal and the bell. And it's like, no, 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 that bell sticks out. It's not yeah. just an accent. It's a pitch. It's a sound. It's, it's, it can be jarring. I think when used properly, I love it. Uh, I think that all of us at some point had to learn the little inverted paradiddle vibe or the paradiddle followed by an inverted paradiddle vibe that Neil Peart used to do. Mm-hmm. Ding, to ding, to ding, that type of thing. Um, so I, I do use it quite a bit, um, but I'm also very cautious of it. I don't, and I never do it to do it, like just because I'm bored. I'm never like, oh, you know what? This song's gonna get a bell on <laughs> on all the upbeats for no reason. So yeah. I think you do have to be cautious with it. And then if you use it properly to cut through the mix and to create a sense of rhythm inside the subdivision that you're in, you know, I mean, if Neil Peart's going. Ding ding, uh, ding da ding da ding, ding da ding da ding, da ding ding da ding da ding. Then I think it can be really cool. Um, so, you know, the one thing that I think most people le- need to learn is how to hit the bell. A lot of times yeah. when you're new at a, at the drum set, you just hit it with the tip of your stick. Which that's a sound that I think is probably underutilized. Keith Carlock does that Absolutely. really really well, and every time he does that, I'm like, man, I never remember that. That's just another sound instead of it being a louder sound because when you hit it with the shank right. it's it's almost always for some sort of a volume change i think right but yeah. yeah you can hit it with the tip and it's interesting but 
Yeah, I, I tend to avoid it, and I think it, it affects which symbols I choose more than anything. It's like, is is the bell, what does the bell do? And if I'm playing in this quiet bar and we're playing, you know, whatever, R&B music, do I want a freaking dinner bell when I hit that thing? Or right, right. <laughs> I just want something well, that's a little bit louder, you know. I think you can almost feel when the creator of the symbol, whoever the company is and whoever the artist was behind it, or if it's just the company itself, you can feel what was the priority. Was the symbol the priority or was the bell the priority? Yeah, because, right. you know, I, I remember creating the transition ride with Norbert and him telling me, okay, if you want that kind of bell, here's what's going to happen to the symbol. I'm like, oh, really? No, no, no. Just take that bell and mm. throw it into my symbol. He's like, that will affect the sound. That's <laughs> The reason you like that bell is because of how thick the metal is right there. And I was like, oh, Interesting. okay. So did like, you have oh, to I didn't compromise really think with what you wanted from the bell versus the sh- the shoulder or the bow? I did, but that compromise ended up really working out in the long run. I think at that time I was still I still had a lot of I mean it's been like 5 or 6 years that I've had that symbol now and um there was still a lot of rock left over I mean I I just wanted a crystal clear almost ice bell mm. and then I wanted some weird jazz fusion ride symbol. And he's like, I'm sorry, like those two don't exist together because of how thick and large the bell would need to be, and we can't just drop down to some paper thin symbol after that. Uh, so yeah, so but like I said, in the long run, now the bell is something that I wanted, which is I want the bell to be an extension of the symbol. I don't want it to be a separate entity. But that's that's the thing that I think gets a little bit confusing when people ask advice. That's what I want for the exact type of music I'm playing right now. That's not what I would play if I was in Corn, if I was Ray Luzier. Yeah, right. I would I would never want that. So your bell choice and your ride symbol choice, that really has to be something that's in response to the music you're playing. And if you look at the article that we're talking about right now, uh, by the way, who wrote this article? Chris Dovas. So this actually right, so, is a, an article yeah. more on for double bass players to do bell patterns within stickings and even like reaching over with the left hand to play on the bell which which i love yeah i think that's Um, super fun and i think that that's like the reason i wanted to reference that is because as soon as i see digga digga underneath it that kind of tells me i'm probably not going to go 22 inch jazz big apple dark (laughs) (laughs) ride i don't want to go and then over the top they go so so even something like that, it's like, okay, cool. I really want the bell to stick out, especially like you said, reaching over to play the ride with the left hand so that you can have a constant stream of 16th notes. Well, then I need the bell to completely stick out past the rest of the symbol because I'm playing the rest of the symbol one 16th note following the bell. So I really do want a pronounced bell. Not that this stuff wouldn't work with any symbol, but yeah. just by seeing the style of what he's going for here. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't play any music, even those hardest rock that I play, which is you know I'm breaking sticks. I never feel like the bell doesn't cut enough. I just don't. Even yeah. just like a medium cymbal, I feel like the bell is is fine. It's usually the right. the stick sound of the bow that that gets lost. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't play like for sure. major extreme. But I mean, that said, these guys are bringing full on half stacks and stuff, and I still feel like the bell is plenty loud. Like, I, I agree, I, and I, th- I think that that also comes down to what we talked about in the very f- first part of this: is you need to learn how to hit the bell properly. Yeah, right. If you know how to hit the bell with that sweet spot, you know it's like I don't know. I'd say maybe an inch and a half down the stick. If we're starting from the tip down, inch and a half down. Right around there, hit it with the side, right in the sweet spot. I mean, you know, it's like a, a drive in golf or, or a home run in baseball. When you hit it right, you don't feel it at all. It's just buttery, you know? So how many times do you miss and hit the felt? Funky. <laughs> Bro, I, I can't even tell you. I had the worst experience of a felt hit ever. So we were out on the road. We were, uh, I think we were maybe with Blink at the time out on the road and we're playing a huge festival like one of those 60,000 people things um, we were in Europe somewhere and there was a moment in my in my set with my band where you know we were like a story of the year a Treyu jumpy jumpy band like we mm. were little soccer jerseys and we bounced and stuff <laughs> so <clears throat> so we're in the 
uh, in this moment where it's like kind of a breakdown and everything's kind of chill and my both my bandmates and my singer all get on top of their guitar cabs so they're all standing on their cabs everyone's standing oh, yeah. and then it's going to be one two three ding and when i hit that ding they jump and they're in the air forever and then we hit it <laughs> and it was just uh two three and just a whiff, and they all buckled their knees and just kind of oh, like dribbled could, off their cabin. Killed it was your the, bandmates. <laughs> I almost killed my bandmates because they just didn't. They were so ready for that ding, and all they got was. <laughs> so uh, after that, I toured with no felts forever. But uh, yeah, now I'm a little more. It's there's nothing worse than that. <laughs> you know, that's, oh. that's kind of one of those you you kind of deserve it. <laughs> totally, you know? I agree. I agree. <laughs> It was fine. You're going to choreograph this whole thing hinging on a bell hit. You kind of deserve it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. After that, I was like, uh, can, uh, Peisty, do you guys have anything like the mega bell ride? (laughs) He sent that to me. I need need a a full 10 inches to aim at and no felts and no wing nuts. Uh, I don't want anything getting in my way. Uh, So, yeah. So, but that being said, now I'm a little more deliberate with my notes. But I do think that, um, Kind of what he was explaining in this article, it's it's similar to accents on a pad. There's so many hidden rhythms mm. inside even our sticking patterns that if you just didn't accent every note, you know, a lot of times as soon as we learn the paradiddle groove, we only, we just accent the hell out of the right hand and then two and four on the left hand. We get this ding, 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 or inverted. Ding, ta ding, ding, ta ding. And I think by just hitting a few of those on the bell, it really changes up that sticking pattern and um, changes up the sound and the rhythm that's coming across to the crowd. Yes. Yeah, so I also think that having the 16th notes on the kick really gives you a nice grid to make sure that your timing's in check as well. Yeah, again, this this article's reminding me that I've got a double pedal sitting at home I need to start using. <laughs> no, you don't. I do. I uh, want to be able to do it. I, I don't know if I told you when I was in college, my goal was to be one of the first like true straight ahead jazz drummers who uses double bass. Like not, I, did, not I actually fusion. did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, over a hundred and fifty hours of drum talk, and I did not know that. Yeah, I, I had this grand idea. I'm going to be the one who who actually uses the bebop language, but with double bass. And wow. That lasted maybe six months of, of trying. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. Because no uh, well, one wants sorry to that hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Three people showed up to my gig at the 55 bar to hear <laughs> double bass bebop. <sighs> oh, well. It just was funny because, uh, I, mean, I mean, someone like Steve Smith, he, he'll play on a bop kit and he'll use a double pedal, but he's still kind of playing fusion-y. And it's and it works, but I'm like, what if mm-hmm. I played like Philly Joe, and instead of doing whatever right. a paradiddle diddle with the toms, I'm going to use the double bass. <laughs> Man, <laughs> youth, youth. You know what yeah. though? Gave it a go. Yeah. Gave it a go. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, if you want to learn more about what we're talking about, <clears throat> check up kicked up bell patterns, uh, unique approach to double bass f- phrases, and the article is by Chris Dovas, and that is in the current issue of Modern Drummer. All right. Let's talk about one of my favorite double bass drummers. <laughs> you mean the the monster of metal himself, the, the most Drew Scholes. extreme, yeah, Drew Scholes, who's playing God. in uh, Train, the metal um, band Train, the heavy yeah. metal, extreme <laughs> dark metal band Train. <laughs> dark. Me- I saw them out on the road with Typo Negative, and it was so good. <laughs> so good. I think it was Typo Negative, uh, Marilyn Manson, and Train. Yeah. Um, okay. Seriously, yeah. Drew is a stud. He is, and he's one of the most polite, nice, kind of unassuming individuals on the planet. And I think it's easy to, when, you know, I become friendly with Drew, so we we get together once in a while, and you just kind of forget like this guy's actually not only is he one of the grooviest drummers on the planet he's also one of the smartest people that i've ever met but he's just so mellow and cool the dude left right. a career as a corporate lawyer to join train of course he did <laughs> yeah. hating him more and more with every sentence yeah no I, I mean it's one of those things where yeah it just seems kind of like hey there's a dude oh he owns drumsticks neat yeah but then i was watching um 
I know that I'm sure for him he's played this song six million times, but I was watching Drops of Jupiter today, and it's such a classic train tune, and you have to wait a minute and a half for the drums to come in. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think on the recorded version I remember it being so greasy and so like is it swinging? Is it straight? Is it yeah? Who's, is that Questlove? Like it? I mean the feel of of it when he comes in, I was actually quite shocked. Like no, I couldn't play that. There's no way I could play that. Yep. And that's like one of the most simple pop tunes on the planet until you see him play it and hear that feel that he gets. And I just thought, oh, my God, this guy is super pro. Yeah. Um, and they also yeah, really uh, cool. they also recreated Led Zeppelin 2 and recorded it and put it out. How bold is that? <laughs> and, yeah, I've seen videos of them doing it live and – their singer go he it's, can crush it's it right on and he had to do moby dick on the howard stern show how about that there's, there's a video somewhere floating around of him i don't know what time howard stern airs but i can't imagine going to a radio station probably early in the morning and we're going to play moby dick and everyone's sitting like five feet away from you go it's the, you know, the most iconic drum solo ever it's early in the morning you're in a band called train that's not known for drum soloing per se right <laughs> now of you course. do it <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, like, Train is one of those bands that you kind of forget. They almost are like the Foo Fighters, where when the industry doesn't know who should perform, someone goes, we'll just get Train to do it. Yeah. Because I'm looking at the rundown. He's got, this is just a little bit of his resume as far as cool gigs he's had. The Today Show, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Good Morning America, Howard Stern Show, The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, NFL Kickoff Party, Rachel Ray, The View, America's Got Talent, Dancing with the Stars, <laughs> Harry, NHL Stadium Series, Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, and Live with Kelly. Huh? You know that I'm still living off of one little performance playing congas on the Dave Letterman show? <laughs> this dude does that like, <laughs> this dude does it like it's a Wednesday. Oh, I love Just it. Awesome. All right, so uh, I let's mean, drop I, I in really some, blown away with this guy. Let's drop in some audio. This is um, what reminded me of how awesome drew is and how subtle his his pocket is was he went down to nelson drum co and just jammed on some of the kits they have there it's on whoa, instagram whoa, whoa. slow down it's nelson drum shop now they've oh, changed their name all right nelson drum shop sorry <laughs> so anyway he's playing on i don't know some vintage gear and when i saw this video i'm like dang not only is it funky but he's playing really light too and i think that's what impressed me the most so let's check it out this is the first one Okay, that's what I'm talking about. It's that it's his bass drum placement. Yeah. Is it straight? Is it swung? Like that one note just comes in and I'm like, I know he means to do that, yeah. but damn, that gives it a feel that I can't cop. It's just it's just real. It's just it's just him, yeah. you know. And it's it's because yeah. people comment like, "Oh, the drums sound great." I'm like, "Yeah, the drums do sound great." It's the human <laughs> being playing the drums that actually sounds really great. <laughs> yeah. I think Oh my god! I'm still listening to it. By the way, that's why I can't speak. <laughs> it's, but I I get what they're saying because I'm like, oh, all right, I'm gonna buy a Ludwig. <laughs> Proud Gretsch artist. I'm gonna buy a Ludwig because of how good he sounds playing them. Uh, that's amazing. All right, should we listen to some more? Yeah, let's do the second one. This one is more like a sixty note feel.
I'm totally tuning my drums like Bach today. Because <laughs> if you play them that quietly with that much touch, yeah. oh. But I mean, you can see in his hands the technique is just unreal. Yeah, that's for me. That's that's grown man stuff to be able to play whisper quiet with so much confidence and relaxed. He's not forcing yeah. anything, and never. It doesn't sound like he's even concerned about control. It's just there. He right. just has it. Really inspiring. You know, I mean, just a, a side note about this. I I think that there's something with. Play, practicing that quiet and what drums do at that volume level because if you have like loose slack heads they're just not going to respond yeah, but when you crank yeah. your kit up and then you play it with that much touch that much feel and that low of a dynamic nature the drums become just incredibly musical yeah and you have to tune them higher for sure that's, that's what i mean when yeah. you crank them up a bit yeah yeah it's and then also stuff. too the the bass drum notes have so much more value and you you care about them. It's not like you're not playing immigrant song, right? Just to do it. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, let it breathe, man. It's it's a whole. It's it's a note now. Yeah, uh, and, and I think it's the same thing with cymbals. You know, like I've had some friends who you know they play exclusively jazz, and you know they check out some of my cymbals. Like yeah, but it, it's got something going on in the overtones. I'm like you can hear that because they only play yeah. at like pianissimo level all night long. So right. it's those little yeah. overtones that you don't hear until you just live in that world. It's pretty cool. The other thing is, you guys, if you don't know who Drew Scholes is, that's fine. But you're hearing us showing you how incredibly dynamic and quiet he can be. But if you go watch him play with Train, that dude hits, you know, like any touring pop rock drummer. Yeah, and he's using a big old Vista-like kit with Train. (laughs) Stud. Stud. Um, Yeah, I'm... I'm, uh, I can't tell. I feel like I should be inspired, but I'm slightly annoyed. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it, yeah, he's one of those. He's kind of like Zach Danziger for for me with anything that I'm doing with electronics. Right. I'm like, I just want to quit because I will never ever reach that level. And it's I think like pocket playing is Drew and a couple other guys like there's just something there you can't practice, you can't dissect. You got to just figure it out. Yeah. And I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> hey, I'm with you, man. And he's got like the quadfecta of classic drum set endorsements. Ludwig drums, Zildjian cymbals, Vic Firth sticks with Remo heads. Yep. It's just classic <laughs> all around. Uh, it's amazing. So obviously you guys can see him on tour with Train, but follow him on social media because he puts out quite a bit of stuff, especially on his Instagram page, and you'll get to see him play a little bit. But he, he's one of those people, by the way, it's just at Drew underscore Shoals, S-H-O-A-L-S, goals with an S-H. And... The one thing that I really like is his Instagram is not just him throwing down. It's a good mix of of his family and his life and the world that he's in, which I think is important. Sometimes we just go so drum-centric with our social media pages as professional drummers that we lose sight of the fact that some people are following us because they want to know more about who we are. And Drew, and some people are very protective of that, which I fully understand, but Drew definitely lets you in a little bit. So you get to know a little bit about his life, a little bit about his world, and then you'll also get – some things like seeing seeing a train song for any of you that want to like think that train is just silly pop watch a train song from the drum chair yeah and and you'll be a fan yeah (laughs) yeah i'll just raise my right hand with a large no because when i clicked on drops of jupiter i was like oh my god you can't you can't go to a grocery store without hearing that song still it's been like five or six years yeah or maybe longer and then i watched it i was like ah can't even play that so <laughs> drew if you're listening buddy thanks for the ego wrecking pop drumming you are a stud my friend oh man all right so it's time to welcome in our new advertiser for the show we have tama coming in to sponsor this week's episode and they wanted to make sure that we make you aware of their hyper stri- super let me start that again holy hell aware of their superstar series hyperdrive duo drum set if you remember, probably last year we reviewed the Superstar Series, which was the all-maple kit that I was in love with. I had the 8-inch Rackton, three Rackton's. Super affordable, but sounded great. And now they've come up with a new configuration that comes with the super current 10x14 Duo Snare, which is basically a floor tom with wires on it. 
And um, it is on legs, right? It's on legs, yeah. So it's it's yeah. exactly what I wish my old marching drum would do, and I can't find legs that would fit it. This just has that setup. So there's a. They wanted to make sure that we talk about the finishes. I, I guess currently it's only available in three finishes. There's a satin blue, there's a flat black, and there's a satin silver. All of which come with like a vertical racing stripe. One vertical for like racing stripe. Super classy. Super I mean, classy. Like, sometimes that stuff really to me takes away from the drum set this was well, one i don't think we see vertical a lot it's always that horizontal racing strip mm-hmm. this but this is because it's not overdone it just couldn't be more classy especially with the color combinations they offer so the setups they have um, the hyperdrive means the tom the rack toms are shallow so there's a setup that comes with a 7 by 12 and a 14 by 16 in addition to the duo snare and a 16 by 20 bass drum there's a larger configuration that has a six and a half by ten and the seven by twelve, as well as the fourteen by sixteen in the duo snare, with a sixteen by twenty-two inch bass drum. Um, I think if I was starting out today, I would get that four-piece setup with the twenty-inch bass drum and the duo snare added on. That looks super yeah. fun. Now, what, what finish would I go with? Hmm. Man, that blue is classy. That satin blue. Yeah. Ooh. That's that's kind of it. Yep. That's probably what I would get. So anyway, it's a it's a surprisingly affordable series. Really cool. Um, it comes with a lot of the you know the um, the details that makes Tama what they are. Great hardware. It's got the die cast hoops, I believe, all the way around. Does yeah suspension claw hooks on the bass drums. Yeah, black nickel hardware. Um, what else? Yeah, that star cast mounting system. So yeah, it's a really great deal. Check it out, and I think that I'm pretty sure that snare drum is available on its own as well. So if you want to get some of that funky, super deep snare vibe and have floor tom legs on it, this is it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think that it's when you see it like that, that's where a lot of people are placing it. So they've got it generally in the floor tom position, especially when you're playing with two floor toms. But if you got the four piece kit. It would be a great left side snare as well. If, yeah. you, if you're somebody that plays with a more cranked up snare, throw this on the left as a big fat ballad snare. Yeah. Don't need to carry an extra snare stand. It's a good idea. I'm glad. I'm glad they did it. Uh, so anyway, awesome. thanks Tama for sponsoring the show, and let's get into talking about some hardware from Canopus. Uh, they have, as you alluded to earlier, they they're calling it the Hybrid Series hardware. It's lightweight hardware, but it's not light-duty hardware. I think that's the distinction. A lot of companies right. are coming out with light-duty hardware, which is also lightweight, super thin, and doesn't take up much space. This is actually big, old, double-braced, you know, fit-for-any-type-of-monster-setup kind of hardware, but it has aluminum parts, so it cuts down the weight considerably. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a throne, there's a snare stand, there's a straight... Uh, there's a cymbal stand that can has a collapsible boom, and there's a hi hat. So it's all um, it's all as as high end as it gets, but you know not back breaking. And I, I usually have to sacrifice you know the durability versus the weight. And lately, I'm erring towards I would just want the lightest crap I can find. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. When you gig as much as you do, and I, I can only imagine what loadout and load in must be like, especially if you have a gig in the city or something. I mean, I, I yeah. can't imagine you get to just park. In the loading area, right? No, I mean, you, it no. must be like the quickest thing as possible. Or you probably have to park far away and then huff your gear. Yeah, down the street. Even using one of those sled uh, ahead cases, it's still, it still it wears you down when you're going over curbs and up and down steps and right. stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm going That's for when the, the weather's good. Yeah, right. And there's always, you know, New York City mud puddles just 24-7. <laughs> In the middle of summer. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think th- this would also be great touring hardware. When you're dealing with like, well, I need heavyweight stuff, but especially when you're not touring with a full, you know, run of techs and buses and everything, you still have to break down every night. You still have to set up every day. You still have to take that thing out of the trailer. And, uh, and like, this is like Mike said, this is not cheap. Let's make some old 1940s jazz hardware. This, this looks like just completely standard hardware. The only thing is it sounds like they've swapped out a lot of the steel for aluminum, which yep. is bringing the weight down but still keeping the strength. Yeah, I think the goal with this is just to replace your heavy-duty high-end hardware permanently with something that's just a little bit less bulky. It's still Makes th- sense. the same function, same stability, but it yeah. just weighs less. And I think, can, can everyone do that? <laughs> we all just do that now. I know, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty awesome. So 
definitely check this stuff out. Do you know cost-wise where it stands? I mean, is it pretty much the same as most hardware? Yeah, I mean, it's professional, professional grade stuff. It's not, it's not budget level stuff. But you know, if you're in the market for some some really nice high end stands, and you're you're thinking whether to go with the the flimsy lightweight stuff just to save your back, or the real stable stuff, this right. is going to lean towards more of the stable stuff minus you know a fair percentage of the weight. And as far as it being able to handle the stuff, uh, Kyle, who reviewed this stuff, said that he swapped out his new beat hi-hats for a set of 20-inch rides, right. and it still was able to handle it just fine. So yeah. be, if it can handle that, you're going to be fine. Yeah, Kyle who Kyle Andrews, who wrote the review, really loved the hi-hat stand. He said there was something something special about the, the way the chains and the lever felt. It was just very lightweight, even though it still had a lot of, like, power you could really hold them tight right. but you didn't have to like stomp down with your foot gotcha you really dug that so yeah awesome canopus always doing the thing with canopus is it's it's understated and just awesome in general everything right. they do so yeah check them out it's just quality all right well let's get into some audio questions now all right Today we're going to get to three of your audio questions uh the first one i believe is from micah all right here we go micah i said i wasn't going to butcher names um, I can't do it. Rewalt? See, that's why I was smart enough to say the first one's from Micah, and I just walked away. I didn't go, Micah. You just, you just walk away. Yeah, right. And everyone assumes you know the last name. Here's Micah. <laughs> Hi, Mike and Mike. This is Micah Raywalt from Alaska. First off, I just want to thank you for an amazing podcast and helping me get to a place where I'm ready to pursue music in a more serious way. You guys have really encouraged me to really go after dreams and aspirations I've had, but haven't believed that I could in the past. Anyway, uh, I'm a college student. I'm going to be going back down to Portland for my second uh, year, and so I'm trying to figure out how to start gigging and get into that industry down there. I haven't really had that opportunity up here in Anchorage, Alaska, because the music scene is a lot smaller up here. Anyway, I have a lot of musical friends that I could record with, and I want to do that to just kind of start honing my skills as not just a drummer, but as a producer. But I don't really see those as generating income, so I'm trying to figure out how to start gigging and get into that scene down there in Portland when I don't really have connections. Also, I had a question about drum teaching. I have done some this summer, but it's been mainly at a facility that has only had one drum set. So I would love to hear your approach, Mike Johnson, on how to teach with just one drum set, because I really want them to fall in love with just playing drums to music because most of them are beginner drummers. And it's hard to do that when there's only one kit available. So, All right, so Ray Walt. <laughs> Micah yeah. Raywalt. Mentioned that earlier. Come on. <laughs> All right. So, how do we unpack this? Where do we go first? How about teaching with uh, teaching on on one kit? Let's start there. That one's easy. I had to do the same thing. Think outside the box. Put playable heads on both sides of the bass drum. Bring an extra hi hat stand and snare stand and a throne and a pedal. If you have to bring it, if they won't let you leave it there, and just both of you should be using the same bass drum. You don't need rack toms. You don't need floor toms. You don't. If you want, you can put a ride cymbal in the middle of the kit. But as long as you both have kicks, nat, and hair, you're <laughs> going to be fine. That was on purpose, everyone. Uh, so as long as you have that setup, you're going to be fine. You'll be able to teach them how to play songs. And I think that's the best way to go. And it's a unique perspective. I would mention or I would suggest for a lot of people that already teach with two kits to try that because it's really a unique perspective for the teacher to literally be facing and mirroring the student and mm-hmm. really see their technique head on instead of always looking to the side because the kit's set up side by side. So I would just share a bass drum as far as doing with one. I would much rather do that than like, let me show you. Get up, bro. Yeah, now you that. try. I like, hate that. That's the worst. Yeah, it doesn't work for me when I'm teaching younger students because as soon as I get them off the kit, they're already looking at the walls and they're you know they're not paying attention. Not to mention, are you supposed to sit on their junior setup, or yeah, are you sp- right. or are they supposed to barely reach the pedals on your monster setup? So. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's always been the answer for me. Like I've taught in many different places throughout my career, and when I saw that the room only had room for one drum set, I just thought, okay, cool. I'll, 
I'll make two setups out of this, even if I have to bring some cheap gear from home. So the first part of the question, refresh our memories. He want, he's looking so to get more. He's into moving to a new town. Yeah, and he wants to gig, and he's moving to a, a city for the first time that actually has a scene, going from Anchorage, Alaska to Portland, Oregon. I mean, that's like Sacramento to New York City. So he, you do have a scene in Portland. You do have great drum shops. Um, like, oh, uh, man, I can't remember. Revival. I mean, obviously, I know. Uh, well, I know that, but the other one, there's another one that's more modern that I've done clinics at. It's an awesome shop, too. Anyways, there's great drum shops there. There's lots of drummers. So you have that, plus you have a full-on huge downtown area with a massive gigging scene. I think the key is going to be, one, attending gigs and meeting people that are already performing. The other thing is taking any gig in the world, because even if you're playing something that doesn't do anything for your soul and you're playing covers, you're playing covers with other musicians that wish they weren't playing covers, so you can create original music with those people later once you click with some people. Uh, but the, I, I definitely think getting into the scene, showing up at the drum shops frequently, and just not being a pest, not being like, "Hey, do you have any gigs for me?" But just be part of it, you know? Yeah, you got to be uh, seen to, to get gigs. I, th- I mean, and I think I agree. I think it, yes, it's important to be known amongst drummers, but you're only going to get work if you know other musicians. So you got to go out to the clubs where, yep. where they're actually playing. Yep. Go to you know whatever whatever the coolest jam session is, and, and play with other musicians who aren't drummers. Because while you might get one or two references from other drummers, chances are you're going to get more gigs from a bass player that you connected with. Completely agree. Completely agree. All right. All right. Next question from Mr. Nick Murray. Nick Murray. Hey guys, this is Nick from Poughkeepsie again. I just have a question about jazz ride cymbals. Uh, Currently as my main ride, I have a dark washier ride from Dream. And for the secondary ride on the left, I'm looking for something a little bit brighter and more articulate. Just wondering if you have any suggestions, whether they're like classic ride cymbals or anything uh, newer, more contemporary. All right, thanks guys. Since you have experience with every company in the world, and my experience is mostly limited to Meinl nowadays, I'll let you answer this one. I think... When you're talking jazz ride cymbals, I don't think brighter should ever be the option. You want washy and dry. That's what you want. So you yeah. you still, I think you still want to stay with something that's darker sounding, but just has less sustain. Um, you can achieve that by taping up something else and make it just a drier sounding cymbal. Um, to stay in the, in the dream world, you might want to check out the Dark Energy series. Uh, that's that's what I look for is one that's super articulate and one that's kind of washy. That gives me the contrast. I wouldn't want to go like, you know, in the Zildjian world, like a Constantinople and then a Z custom, like dark and bright, <laughs> right. you know, like that. Even though like at might, what you know, point are you going to go? You know what I need is ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that's or or even honestly, even like an A custom medium, I, I wouldn't necessarily do that. Unless I was yeah. going for extreme contrast, I would probably go like a special dry and then a Constantinople. So they're still very dark and warm, but one is has less sustain and one is wash here. Yeah. So Dream Dark Energy. Dark Energy is probably their driest. Um, but, you know, there's dry stuff. Everyone has dry stuff now. So pick your, right. pick your pre- preference of symbol uh, manufacturer and just pick something that's drier and less washy. Love it. All right, and our last one is from Stuart. Hey, Mike and Mike. Love the show. Listen every week, and it's gotten me back into drumming after many, many years away. One question I have, I just have my drums set up in the basement, and I love to play along with tunes on from my iPhone. And... I'm trying to figure out whether it's headphones, which I would rather not play with, but maybe a powered speaker. And I don't play really loud. um, And I would just love to play along with some music. And maybe it's a powered speaker or what your suggestions would be so that I have enough volume so that it cuts through, um, but not so much that I need to, you know light up a block party so any suggestions would be appreciated and uh thank you and keep it Did up we answer this already yes okay so i actually have an update on this okay uh 
Okay, so Stuart sent this audio question in, and then I think he actually sent it in written as well because we answered it last week. Yeah, correct. He got the answer, and he actually sent me a, a text on or, or a DM on Instagram, and he's a motivational speaker. He's he's awesome. Uh, oh, I actually cool. I watched like twenty of his videos, <laughs> maybe not twenty because there weren't twenty to watch, but I watched all of his videos. And I, I love anytime someone can really speak to a camera. So, Stuart, I'm happy that you got the answer you needed. And I think you'll be happy with what we recommended. And so. I think we recommended headphones and in-ears. We did. Yeah. And just saying. <laughs> just making sure. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think it's also, even if you're just a basement drummer, it's such a great way to start to get into the world you're going to get like great headphones or really good in-ears. You'll put them in and you'll go, oh, that sucks. I can't hear my drums. Good. Now, get yourself an, you know, a powered mixer, like a two-channel powered mixer and one overhead microphone. And mm-hmm. now mix your mic into your, your playing. And I'm telling you, it, it's such a m- more pleasant playing experience if you're always playing to music. If you're playing drums by themselves, then it's great to hear the drums sound how they actually sound. Um, you know, and then there, there are times, though. I will say this, Stuart. There are times where if I'm going to cover a gig for a buddy, and I know it's an outdoor gig, I do want to play to a powered speaker because I want to get used to like the chaos that's going to ensue if they don't have uh, a monitor engineer. You know, if I'm playing somebody's backyard barbecue, I'm not going to be like, "So who's doing front of house and who's <laughs> yeah. doing monitors?" Yeah. You know, it's like, "All right, you're just going to have to use your ears on this one." So I want to be prepared for everything. But yeah, so the the answer for Stuart was. Good headphones or uh, some some custom mold in ears. All right, so that's all for questions. Uh, we did want to let you guys know that after what is this? One hundred fifty-eight. This is one fifty-nine. After one hundred fifty-nine episodes, unfortunately, due to scheduling issues, this podcast is coming to an end. That's not true, <laughs> but if you had a little sinking feeling, please give us a five star review before we give you our picks of the week, because. Dang, we could use a couple ratings and some reviews. We'd really appreciate that. Just hope nobody steered the car off the road. All right. Mike had a, quite the look on his face. He's like, we're doing what? Uh, this is now the Mike Dawson podcast. I'm out of here. Oh, my God. No one wants to hear that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bro. I I'm especially don't certain, want to hear that. <laughs> I'm fairly certain no one can handle, handle an hour of either of us oh, by ourselves. We need, we need. You're the cream in my coffee, buddy. I come in with all the caffeine, and you just go, you know what? That's a stupid idea. I go, thank you. Thanks for mellowing me out. Uh, Okay, so before we get to our awesome outro groove by Finn, let's get into some picks of the week. I'm going to go first because I want to revisit my pick of the week. Okay. Do you remember me picking gaff tape? Yes. Maybe more than once. I don't know. But it's certainly a worthy (laughs) pick. Gaff, gaff, gaff. gaff. (laughs) Okay, so here's the pick, and here's the reason why. You and I talked. I don't even know if it was a pick or I just asked your question about gaff versus gels. Oh, yeah, that's right, because you were going to experiment. Yeah, so I did, and I found the solution to a problem I've been having quite a bit is I was able to get my toms to sound great with gels or even no gels. I love the sound of my toms. Mm. What I didn't love was how much my toms resonated when I'd hit my kick drum or my snare drum. Mm-hmm. I never got to hear just the kick. It was like this boom. Yep. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. and people were even saying like, man, that kick has so much resonance. Like I've got nine pillows in it. Yeah, it's a tom. That's, yeah. that's, that's my toms. So, and then I put gel on my toms on the bottom. Great. But the, I would always see the gels on my carpet mm-hmm. a week later. Yeah. So what I've kind of come to a conclusion with is I'm using the gaff tape for the bottom heads and it has completely shut down the overtones that my kick was creating, but I still have plenty of tone coming from me actually hitting it with the stick. And then I have one gel on the top heads, and it stays perfect and stays clean, and everything's good. So I'm recommending gaff tape once again. Uh, actually, in all honesty, I put up a picture on Instagram of my gaff roll when it came in, and quite a few people DM'd me or put in the comments, I always see people talking about this, but I don't know what gaff does. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what, how would you until you've toured or had to use it? So the answer is it does a little bit of everything. It's a great way to tape down a drum rug. It's it, You can put it on the side of your drum shell and peel it off, and there won't be any residue as long as you don't bake it in the sun. Um, so you can kind of do everything with it, and your bandmates will use it too. But the way that I'm using it right now is I'm using it as bottom head muffling that will never fall off. So how much? What, what size of piece do you tear off? 
So I always take about, I'd say, a three-inch piece, rip that. Then I rip that in half lengthwise, Mm -hmm. and I put three folds in it, and then I've got four of those on the bottom of my rack and on the bottom of my floor. Oh, that's a fair amount of tape. It's a lot of tape, but... It's all based. This is what I tell everybody. And they, they, you know, because they're like, "Oh, I'll go do that." It's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" I don't know what your room is like. I don't know what your yeah. mic setup is like. I've got one overhead mic, and I've got a pretty ringy room. So that's what I need for my exact setup. Mm. You have to experiment, season to taste. Dig it. You know that reminds me. Uh, I, I did an interview near Z for a short piece in an upcoming issue, and there was a bit that I had to cut out. He uses gaff tape on the bottom of his snare drum sometimes. What? Yeah, after just a little bit of that really bright overtone that you just can't tune out, and once you start muffling the batter head, it just becomes dead. He yeah, says you just put a little bit of tape on the bottom side, and it, that does it. I've never wow. even considered putting tape on the snare side head. Yeah. Do you remember uh, in Aaron Sterling's video where he's like, "Oh yeah, oh, I just <laughs> turned my snare drum over. There's some tape on there. <laughs> I didn't even know that was there." Yeah. It's like, Awesome. Probably did like three platinum albums with that piece of tape yeah, on the yeah, bottom. Right. Didn't even it's a know. Secret. I don't. Yep. Yeah, I think in Aaron it was actually over the wires. But Nier was saying just like you would with a tom close to the edge, yep. just a little little piece there, and that gets rid that of that sense. that real high high overtone that bugs a lot of engineers. Love it. All right, my pick right. of the week is which I feel like a, a deja vu, but maybe not. Nate Smith is putting out a. Um, a solo breakbeats record, I think soon, but he pre-released one track. It's um, it's on iTunes, it's on Apple Music. There's also a YouTube video of him performing it live. Um, what is the actual song called? So if you're on iTunes, it's called Get Down, Get Down. It might be the funkiest halftime shuffle I think I've ever heard. Really? So we're going to drop in a little bit of it. Magic 73 BPM tempo. <laughs> so good. You know what? I kind of feel like... Do you remember when you first learned how to do the little flutter thing with with a single bass drum pedal into a backbeat? Yeah. The grrrt. Yeah. little Jerry was race car driver. I feel like diddling triplet groove notes is exactly like that. Like, as soon as you learn it, you way overuse it. But if you can do it in the right spot, yeah. just once or twice, it's so tasty. Yep. And right when he hit that first little, I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so we only grabbed a little bit of it. But if you check out the whole track, he goes into some real tasty sort of implied metric modulations and really kind of lays it down. I mean, there's a reason why he is the man right now. Yeah, absolutely. So the, absolutely. the album is called Pocket Change. I'm not sure when it's actually going to come out, but like I said, the one the opening track is available for streaming on pretty much every service. Or you can go to the he has the website qrates.com. You can find his page there. That's where he has the you know where you could buy the vinyl, which you can't anymore. It's already sold out. But there's where the teasers are if you want to check out for the tracks and the video. It's also on YouTube. So just search for Nate Smith Pocket Change and. Have your mind blown. Awesome. Go ahead. Have your mind blown. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Now, our outro groove that I've actually remembered is by Mr. Finn McLean. And uh, this is a little halftime shuffly, odd time jazz ride pattern thing. How did I do? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's about right. Halftime shuffle, right? Jazz ride. Yeah. But, but, kind but of about the, yeah, exactly. Up. Yeah, <laughs> and it's using a Gretsch Brooklyn kit, Superphonic Ludwig snare, uh, Zildjian Constantinople medium ride, some minor extra dry hi hats. So he's a real democratic drum user here. Yeah, he's tracked with two SM57s, which is only a few inches in front of the drum kit. Uh, one of them is a few inches in front of the kit; the other one's above the kick, pointed at the snare, which is nice. That that Chad Blake, whatever you want yep. to call that trick. So you don't need a whole big old setup. Two mics will do it. 
Yeah. So that's it. We are done. Episode one. We are done. Fifty nine. In the can, everyone. Please have an amazing day. Uh, if you can, we're not quitting. We're not going anywhere. But if you can, just stop by iTunes or wherever you get this podcast from and give us a rating and review. That stuff helps other drummers find this podcast. And our goal is definitely just to make everyone feel in the loop in this crazy industry that we're all trying to keep our heads above water in and have fun with. Yeah, so we're, we're going to be coming up on 200 before we know it. I My know. God. Crazy. Crazy. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Mr. Dawson, see you soon, bud. See ya.